Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Three. <clears throat> two. Hello. Uh, that's too low energy. All right. Three. Two. Hold on a sec. <clears throat> three. Got something in my tooth. <laughs> two. <laughs> what a day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? Tommy, you got to tell the people where you're recording from right now. I am in the front seat of my 2012 Honda Odyssey, (laughs) (laughs) parked in in the driveway of my in-law's house, (laughs) while literally my kids are staring at me out the window. I just looked over like a minute ago, and they were all looking out the window, like pointing at me. So, they must think this thing is crazy. They don't get it. But they, Do they think, think it's your job or anything? No, they think it's a funny hobby. Like they are like, it is. oh, <laughs> and they're not wrong. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's what daddy, daddy goes and talks with uh, Mr. <laughs> downstairs in the basement. That's right. But now it's out, out in the driveway in the car by himself. <laughs> so where are you right now? I'm literally in the Poconos uh, where yeah. at my in-laws house. So. Um, both my mother-in-law and father-in-law are completely quarantined. Kelly's father, uh, just recently finished his last round of chemotherapy, uh, about, mm-hmm. I, I want to say three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And so he's been completely quarantined. So, and I hate to say this, but I think this might be, uh, his had her mom kind of intimated like this might be dad's last Thanksgiving. So get your ass up here. Oh, no. Um, so we're up here, so it's me and my kids and Kelly's parents um, and Kelly's sister, uh, who I didn't think was going to show up, but she went and got a COVID test yesterday or two days ago, mm-hmm. um, and she was like, I'm clean, so I'm coming up because she actually she works in a maximum security prison. So oh. she's been exposed several times, but she's never gotten it. But she was like, I want to come up and see my nieces and hang out. Like, again, this might be dad's last Thanksgiving. Um, So I want to be there. So Kelly was like, you can come. But I'm telling you right now, like, you got to get fucking tested. So she did. She went and gotten tested. And she literally showed up because I know my wife got out of the car, paperwork in hand and walked up to my (laughs) wife and was like, here it is. And she was like, good. All right, fine. Like that's good. I I like that because I I wouldn't believe it unless I saw the paperwork. Yeah, I didn't. I, I'll be honest with you. I kind of didn't believe it until like when she when she was like, "Well, I'll get it. I'll get it." She's younger. She's like twenty seven. Like in my head, I'm going like, if I was twenty seven, I'd be like, "Fuck you! I'm not getting a test." <laughs> yeah, because I I asked certain members of my family if they'd been tested recently, and certain members of my family were like, "Yeah, we're fine." I was like, "Oh, so that's a no." 
Yeah. <laughs> so how was your Thanksgiving? It was awesome. It was really, really nice. Um, it, the one thing that's really nice about being up here is you are literally, and I, I put this in a, there's a next door neighbor that's about a, you know, 200 feet away. But other than that, we are in the woods. Oh, like, that's awesome. Uh, we went outside last night. I don't know if it, what the weather was like down by you, but it was gorgeous out here last night. I mean, it was, yeah, it was wet. It was so warm. But it, it was humid and damp, but it was like 60 something. So we were literally outside riding bikes and playing games, like doing sidewalk chalk, playing out in the driveway until like seven o'clock. They have a ton of lights up here. So yeah. they have a bunch of floodlights on the outside of the house. So we were outside playing until like almost seven or seven thirty. Um, and it was kind of neat. It's like Kelly thinks it's hilarious. There were, and I'm not exaggerating, between like eight to ten deer just walk through their front yard and because they're not afraid of like they're not like um they're not like skittish like they they just wander through because they're in such a huge pack they just kind of like glanced at us and we're like oh you're not a threat keep walking and yeah they're like try something go yeah, ahead there's eight of us yeah my daughters were like we're all sitting there like we're holding each other we're like look at how beautiful that is look at how tall they are look at how thin their legs are and how big we were just like and Kelly's sister and, and Kelly's mom are laughing at us. They're like, when well, you guys don't see deer? And I'm like, no. <laughs> There's no deer on street road. <laughs> if there is, it's it's flattened. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> oh, so we're talking about Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, and before I tell you about mine, folks, today on the show, we have Respire, the post-everything band from Toronto. They mix so many great elements of different things, black metal, orchestral stuff, emo, hardcore if you haven't heard their discography, check it out. They've got a new album, Black Line, coming out this Friday, December 4th. Check it out. We spoke to them a couple weeks ago during election week when uh, we still didn't know who was president. So there's a lot of great conversation, political stuff, music stuff, recovery stuff. It's got it all. So that's going to happen in a few minutes. But my Thanksgiving was not good. <laughs> 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 all right elaborate because i always like to hear these stories because they're all you are like we were talking about this prior to the show but like you are super in tune with people's body language and social cues and it, you are very in tune with things like that and you can see when I, I can notice when you're around people like you immediately project how uncomfortable you are like it's all over your face it's all over your pocket like as soon as i see you and like and I, you're like i don't like this situation I, you don't have to say a word i can just look at your face and you give me that sour like what the fuck look <laughs> so how did everything well, go it was not it was not good all right so we're you know how you tell the story where when you go down the shore uh you put on promise ring nothing feels good and yes. everyone's into it and it's a good time this is what I envision for myself every time I get in a car and it just doesn't work out because no one likes my music. No one cares about hearing it. And like, I, I have to temper my expectations. I, I put together a nice playlist that I think everyone will like, and it's not too crazy. And I envision like, Oh, what's this song? Oh, that's cool. You know, none of that happens. So, you know, multiple people are on the phone at the same time in a car and that's that's annoying to me you know so it's i don't know man it's just and then i'm turning the music ups down so people can be on the phone and i'm turning it back up and people are talking to each other and they can't you know so it's it's a whole thing 
So I got upset. I lost my cool. And that didn't help things. So I have a plan now. I'm going to put on it when we're in the car, I'm going to put on a playlist I don't care about. That way I won't I won't care. It's just, just background noise. You have nothing invested in it. Yes. I think your so first that, can I say this? I think your first mistake was making the playlist. Why is that? <laughs> just because now you have the expectation set of like I have to like I want people to react well to this because you spent yes. time and energy on it and it's now like fuck that <laughs> they're yes. like on the phone having a full on conversation with somebody else or you know texting somebody and they're like you know the 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 music to most people is always background noise. Right. No, I can't expect everyone to have this deep investment in it like I do and that's that's my mistake. And I have I have created a method to get around that and not m- repeat that mistake in the future. And listen, f- family just can be irritating, you know? Now, don't get me wrong, I love them. Uh there were good moments. But um I don't know, man. What 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 upsets me the most is when people family feel comfortable saying things they shouldn't say. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm I'm talking to someone and they're asking me about video games. And because they don't know anything about video games and someone they know is into video games and streamers and all that stuff. Okay, this is somewhat of an area of expertise for me. So I'm explaining, explaining. And then this person out of nowhere is like, oh, you have time for all this, but you can't pick up a guitar. And then the hairs, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, I'm doing a podcast that a good amount of people listen to. I have a full-time job. I'm studying for an incredibly hard exam I've got in a couple weeks. I'm in a relationship. You know, there's a child involved. So there's responsibility there, but, but I should sit alone in my room and play guitar because what, because you think I should, because you think you have the, you have the imagined amount of time to be able to do that. Yeah. So was I not in a band three years ago that I, that I struggled for a year and a half to try to keep together? Did I not put out a record? You know, will there, will there not be a musical project again in the, is there a music industry right now? Yeah. And I, this is coming from someone who plays zero instruments. <laughs> so th- that's what makes me, that's what gets me the most upset is when someone just offers up an opinion that no one asked for and it's not helpful. Like, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not an angel and I used to be a menace all the time. But like, would you walk up to someone at a party and be like, oh, this music is shitty. Why did you put this on? This is bad. Yeah. I, 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 can I, at this, this can no, all right, at, at age 38 now would you do that to somebody absolutely not but here's the and only... that didn't happen that didn't happen i'm just using that as an example of offering up your opinion when nobody asked for it would was this person drinking possibly they tend people tend to get a little loose-lipped about things like that especially family when they have something that they want to say and you know yeah, there's that old uh, in vino veritas within li- within wine lies the truth. So people start saying some things that they normally wouldn't say when they get a couple drinks in them. And then you're like, you know what? I wish you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's part of what was going on, probably, you know, and I'm not going to fault people for that because I used to show up to Thanksgiving dinner already blasted and go from there. Oh, no, that was yeah. my go to move. 
Like when I, I would show up at my mother's half in the bag and then be like, let's start drinking. And then of course, like my sisters are all drinkers. So they would be like, fuck yeah, let's start. And I mean, like they would start doing shots and my mom would be like, stop doing that. Don't drink liquor like that. It's too fast. Stop doing that. And then, you know, before that, we're like, all right, well now let's start eating. And now we've eaten. So let's start drinking more because now I've started to lose my buzz because I've, I've eaten too much. Yeah, like I would walk in the door mid conversation. You know, I it was just like I was the Tasmanian devil. It was bad. Oh yeah. And that's the yeah. that's the worst is like so we do non-covid years. <laughs> I have to qualify that. Um we do two Thanksgivings. So we do like a small Thanksgiving with my mother and like uh a couple of my sisters and um then we do like a large scale Thanksgiving, which is all, all of my cousins, my mom's aunts and uncles, like there's probably on the low end, like 45 to 50 people there. Um, we do it out in my cousin's house out in Huntington Valley and she's very well off. She has a beautiful, huge home. She has a big, huge, uh, like yard in the back. It's, it's unbelievable, but I mean, it, it's, it's un it's so much fun. But it's also one of those times where, you know, like a lot of those people in that side of the family have very high anxiety jobs and they're off for a few days in a row. So they start having a couple drinks. And then the next thing you know, people are saying things like, you know, I really never liked you because and then you, they start saying shit that you're like, holy shit. Uh, I, I, I didn't think you were going to say that. Like we were in, I'll actually, this is one of the funniest ones is and Kelly will tell this story better than I ever can. But I just had met Kelly and she invited me to a, she had needed a date for a wedding. So mm-hmm. I went to her cousin's wedding. Um, her cousin who is literally got a perfect score in his SAT on, but like genius, uh, very accomplished attorney. We get in the van, leaving the wedding, going back to the like, you know, hotel where everybody's kind of staying and they have the bar blocked off so we can all go to the bar. Um, we get in the car and this big, you know, 15 passenger van. And he's like, oh, Kelly's here. Oh, Tommy's here. Blah, 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 blah. It starts talking to us. And without like maybe 10 seconds pass by in absolute silence, he leans over the seat and very drunkenly goes, you know, Kelly. You're my least favorite cousin. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> the whole van erupted in laughter. <laughs> Thank God it was received like that. I was just dying. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't drink anymore, so I remember everything. Oh, yeah. So when I'm reacting certain ways to certain things and everyone is, is like perplexed, like, oh, why is he making such a big deal out of this? It's because I remember everything and you remember nothing. You know? Yeah. It's one of those, uh, what's that? that's like one of those things there used to be like a saying about the Irish, like they never forget, they never forget an argument or something like that. I forget what the actual quote is, but it's, I must be 100% Irish. then. (laughs) (laughs) You just remember every little dig and detail that's anyone's ever thrown at you. Yes. All right. So we're going to talk to respire now. Here's our conversation. Enjoy it. All right, folks, we're here now with Egan Congoli and Rohan Lilawala from Respire. Welcome. Woo! Yeah. What's Woo! up? Gentlemen, how are we doing? We're uh we're doing great. It's good to good to be on here. Good to have a chance to chat with you guys. Yeah, welcome. I got turned on to your band sometime this year, I think. Tommy sent me a track from Denouement, the uh the first track 
bound. Now that is just an incredible, incredible song. I was instantly gripped by it. Uh, have you guys ever been so gripped by a song, like the first song on a record that it just takes you months and months and months to, to get to the rest of the record? I, I, I think, I don't know if Rohan feels the same way, but I'm a, I'm a very big believer in like a full record. Listen, uh, yes. I think, even in Respire, our process has always been to create like, you know, a good listen from front to end. So I usually take my music all in for like, you know, track one to the last track sort of sort of deal. So I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> That's never happened to you. What about you, Rohan? No, I, I think I'm the same as Egan. I think if, if a song hits me that hard, I'm listening to the whole record right after uh, and putting that record on repeat. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm hitting... Uh, you know, hitting a, getting a few extra plays in on that first track if it if it's really gripping me. But I'm I'm listening to the whole record too. I want the full experience. You know, I'm really into playlists now. Like mm-hmm. I do these really long yearly playlists on Spotify, and I'll drop a lot of bands in there. So sometimes it takes me a while to cycle back around to the to the full album. But I always do. And listen, you got your guys' discography. I mean, whew. I'm first of all. Let me say, I'm glad that you're on the show. We were we were going to have you on a couple months ago or weeks ago, but there was a little delay. We're going to get to that. But now we're here and we're doing it. So let me ask you guys how. All right. So right now, the night we're recording this, we don't know who the new American president is. They're still counting the votes. How how in tune are you guys with what's going on in America? Are you guys keeping an eye on uh, on the election? And for folks who don't know. Rohan and Egan are from Toronto, correct? Yes, yeah. We're well, so we're both immigrants. Um, we're we're both uh, Rohan's from India, and and I am born in Albania, but I grew up in Japan. So um, we've we we definitely have a really close eye on American politics and politics in general. Um, Canada is very close to America, both you know, I think socially, culturally, and politically, and. Whatever happens in America tends to have kind of ripple effects here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, aside from kind of personal, you know, political interests, there's also, I think, uh, you know, pretty great cultural um, importance in Canada. I think, like, if you if you were to look at Canadian news today, almost everything was um, talking about the American election and interviewing people on the streets about what they how they feel about the American election. So it's it's a big part of life here as well. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I went to Toronto for the first time in I think 2013 and I expected it I don't know, I just I just I guess I just had different expectations, but it was it was not too unlike being in an American city. Mhm. Uh, Toronto for sure especially I think really feels um I guess in its urbanism pretty like a lot closer to America. Uh, Rohan is actually in Texas right now. So really, where at Rohan? Yeah, so I'm in I'm in Austin right now. My my partner lives here, uh, so I decided to you know come down for run into the burning building uh, and just <laughs> see you know see what see what life is like on the ground right now. What's the feel down there? Uh, I mean, I think that so we had a, a little kind of outdoor uh, election viewing party that was you know COVID appropriate mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, similar to our party uh, four years ago in Toronto. Uh, the mood started off uh, quite uh, hopeful, and then I uh, got more somber uh, as as the night went on. 
so I, I don't know. I think people are just people are just generally stressed. Uh, I think, and I, I'm sure it's uh, you know the same in in you know many communities in the in across the U.S. where um, you know that are home to people who might be um, you know marginalized in some way or, or feel like their their position in society is 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 um, you know unstable or or at risk. Uh, I think it's just a, a overwhelming sense of anxiety and, and fear uh, for what might come next, and you know uh, the state of uh, American democracy. For sure, and the, the there's it's just really such a bummer. I I'm overwhelmed by it by the news, the divisions among people. There's a lot of arguing, even among people who are supposedly on the same side, and I just can't wait. For this thing to be done, I do hope Biden wins. He's not my number one pick. Like I'm not a Trump guy. You know, I'm really into really progressive candidates. I was a big backer of Bernie Sanders, but I mean, the election is what it is, and I hope Biden takes it and that this country can get back to some semblance of normal over time. Yeah, I think uh, I think we all agree. I, I think that our our politics are, are probably on the. Uh, definitely more on the progressive side than than Biden too. Uh, but you know, it's it's uh, it's easier to uh, win fights against people that at least have some common ground with you. For sure. So I'm going to take it back a little bit. Let's let's figure out where everyone came from and how they got where they are. Let's start with Egan. So you said you grew up in Japan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was born in Albania, um, kind of right around the end of their uh, communist rule. Um, and when there was kind of that explosion of people, you know, just leaving my, my parents fled, um, for education purposes and just life. Um, and then I, and then that kind of, you know, uh, brought us to Canada in 2001. So I've, I've been here for a very long time. <laughs> so definitely a Canadian by now. So Egan, did you grow up speaking Albanian, English and Japanese? Uh, just Albanian and Japanese. I, I learned English coming here. Jesus, wow. that is unbelievable. That is absolutely fascinating. Like, that's so cool. I, I'm always fascinated when someone, like, my mother speaks uh, English and Italian. I'm always, like, kind of, like, blown away when I hear her pick up the phone and, and speak. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, how do you know that stuff? Like, that's just, it's unbelievable to me, like, that people pick up languages so quickly. It's just, uh, what a beautiful gift to have. I love it. I love it. And when you're exposed to a, you know, a bunch of different cultures living in a bunch of different countries, you just kind of pick it up. Like my, my girlfriend speaks Spanish, Italian, some French and, and English. So she's, she's been all over. Polyglot. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of languages. Oh yeah. So Rohan, what about you? Tell us about where you grew up and how you ended up uh, in Canada. Yeah. So I, I grew up in, in, uh, in Bombay, India, uh, now known as Mumbai. Uh, but you know Bombay forever in my heart, uh, and uh, my family moved to moved to uh, Mississauga, which is um, a suburb of Toronto. It's actually the I think North America's largest suburb. It's like eight hundred thousand people now. Wow. Um, uh, back when I was a young teen, so so like again, I've also been in Canada for quite a while. It's been you know over almost twenty years for me now. But yeah, and then I, I you know ended up going to school in Toronto, uh, university in Toronto. So I. Uh, I, I got out of the suburbs as, as soon as I could. I was a, you know, I grew up in a, in a city. I was right downtown uh, in, in Bombay. Um, so I had to get out of the, uh, the suburbs. So I fled to Toronto as soon as I could. Nice. So how did you guys meet? Uh, <laughs> so we met on MySpace. <laughs> ah, yes. This must have been 2003, 2004. 
I think like 2008, actually. Oh, um, shit. It was so, like the swan song of MySpace. <laughs> yeah. That was when the big migration happened to Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, only like musicians and bands were like using MySpace still in 2008. And um, yeah, I think I think either Rohan messaged me or I messaged Rohan just out of kind of a similarity in music tastes um, in like 2008. And then our mutual bands had a split back in like 2010 um, and we played our first show together in the same year. So we've, and this actually also includes Ro, uh, Darren, who's also the third guitar player um, in Respire. So we've all kind of known each other for, for like a decade now, um, more or less within the Toronto DIY hardcore and emo scenes. Um, mm-hmm. We've, you know, incestuously had several bands with each other's members, probably about four bands um, to count. And then in 2003, 2000, sorry, 2013, uh, we came together and decided to make a big band full of all of us. Nice. So what is the scene like in Toronto? Now, Tommy and I grew up in Bucks County, which is just outside Philadelphia, so we had our own little scene we carved out in Bucks County, which was just, you know, kids going to shows in VFW halls, 10 bands on the bill, all different genres, that type of thing. And then you had Philadelphia was a big, big hardcore city, but it was it was super awesome, but also super dangerous. You know, there was a lot of violence. Uh, there was a lot of bad stuff going on, a lot of gang activity, that type of thing. So set the stage for us in Toronto. So I think that in 2008, we all kind of had, we all came from different parts of the, of the scene, you know, like Egan was a, was an indie kid. Uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll give you a chance to, to, to talk about that, Egan, if you want. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like all of us, music was a really big sort of um, empowering and changing, you know, discovery when I was a teenager and I owe a lot of my involvement um, to the kind of general Canadian independent music community and scene of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of after, a couple years after, um, you know, Arcade Fire and Broken Social Scene and bangs, bands like that kind of broke out in, even into America, uh, Toronto was kind of like a haven for uh, local underground independent music. And there were like, you know, all ages shows all over the place and like churches and warehouses and um, you know, all these different alternative kind of venues. So for the kind of better part of the, you know, mid later two thousands, uh, that was like a really thriving and welcoming community in Toronto that sort of, you know, fell in on itself maybe around like 2010, 2011. Um, and I personally kind of, uh, you know, the shows stopped happening as much. The people who were organizing stopped organizing the, you know, festivals and shows and things like that. And right around that time was uh, when I kind of just stumbled in uh, into the DIY punk scene in Toronto, uh, which really, you know, had the same sort of ideals and um, welcoming aspect. And I, I kind of dove, you know, um, headfirst into, into punk and hardcore uh, at that point, which is where I also met Rohan. Yeah, I was so I was um, so I was playing in in like you know playing weirdo post hardcore with like, twinkly guitars in 
uh, in a band in, in Mississauga where I went to high school. And, um, you know, I feel like, I mean, we were not very good uh, looking back, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the songwriting was good, but the execution was, was pretty poor, uh, listening yeah. to some of the old stuff. But, um, so I, you know, I, we, we had a, we got a, I, I used to come to Toronto for shows once in a while. And then, you know, we started getting booked on some Toronto shows. Uh, and I was like, well, this is so much more exciting. Like there's people doing, you know, weird stuff. It's more, um, I can see people that might be, you know, kindred spirits. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it took a little while to kind of get into the, into the community, but I think that, um, you know, once we did, it was, it was really great. There was a bunch of, um, you know, really awesome DIY venues, uh, in Toronto, you know, in the early 2010s, uh, that, uh, were, you know, really, really great, uh, welcoming places that, um, you could do, you know, underground, um, art stuff at, which that weren't super cost prohibitive to book. Um, and then, but then over the last kind of 10 years, uh, Toronto is really, uh, gentrified. It's really become kind of a, uh, you know, a place where rich people across the world bring their money. Uh, and, and along with that, it's, has come the, the closing down of, of, you know, many, uh, many really awesome venues. Uh, I mean, I lived in Darren and I, who's, um, the other guitar player in Respire, uh, you know, we lived in a house in, in the West end of Toronto. Uh, between 2012 and 2014 called Scramden Yards. And we, um, you know, we probably had about 30 shows there over a couple of, over two years. And we had, you know, we had some pretty cool bands. Like we had like Caution Children, Foxing, the Saddest Landscape, Football, etc. cetera. Uh, so we had some cool bands and, uh, you know, our, our landlord ended up selling the house. And I remember in 2014, um, you know, thinking who the hell is going to pay $850,000 for this piece of shit house. <laughs> and then now I'm like $850,000. What a steal. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing like a, there's nothing like a mirroring in the, in the kind of DIY hardcore scene as the kind of the indie scene too, where like, you know, like Rohan said, when we first kind of got introduced to those shows, it was a handful of venues, a handful of promoters and like a pretty close knit community of, you know, folks that were friends and roommates and housemates and over kind of the expansion of Toronto and, and the gentrification and everything, uh, you know, the shows got too big and too rowdy and too many people. And, you know, even the DIY scene itself kind of got like diluted and with venues shutting down and everything, you know, kind of ended up in a weird place where it didn't have very many places to go. So what's the scene? What's it like net? Well, I mean, all of music is shut down now, but let, let's say this, this time last year, like what's the, what's the, where's the place to go to see a show? Like in Brooklyn, you know, we still got St. Vitus. I live pretty close to that. Shit. I'm kind of out of touch, to be honest. I was really connected in Philadelphia. I knew all the venues. I could walk into a show and pretty much know at least one person. And then I moved up to New York City. And I, I don't know, I, I just struggled with drugs and alcohol for a really long time. So I was just always kind of out of it. I went to a lot of shows from 2012 to 2017, but I don't remember most of them. And uh, I cleaned up my act and uh, I don't know. I Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really into post-rock, post-hardcore, hardcore, you know, a lot of the metallic stuff. So I'll, I'll, I'll go check stuff out when it's happening. But sadly, that's not happening right now. So what's it like? Uh, what's it like in Toronto pretending that COVID doesn't exist? Let's say last year. Toronto's really sweet. 
because uh, it's, you know, it's like being one of the biggest countries in Canada. We, we get almost every touring band actually stops in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, you know, sort of like a, in other cities in Canada, you're definitely not going to get as kind of, uh, as high a volume of cool out there acts, including post rock and, you know, uh, non-traditional or like independent punk or whatever. Um, so we get pretty lucky as far as like major shows go. Um, Rohan, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, I think that, um, we're kind of in the same, uh, boat as Keith, where maybe we're, um, you know, went to more shows, uh, earlier in our, in our twenties. And I think we're all a little bit older now. Um, yeah. and you know, with, with getting a little bit older comes more responsibilities and less time to, to go out and go to shows. But, uh, I mean, we've been, so Egan and I have been, um, I've been putting on shows um, along with our friend Vanessa under the banner of New Friends DIY um, oh, for, the past, for the past few years, um, which has been really great because we've been, um, you know, we, we, there was a point, a moment in probably 2018 or so um, where we realized that there was no one really doing uh, the shows that we wanted to see in, in Toronto. You know, our friends were hitting us up um, and asking us to do shows and, and no one was doing uh the kind of stuff we wanted to see so you know we decided that uh hey we should do these shows but also um we've watched you know solo promoters um time and time again kind of you know decide to start booking shows and then just burn out because there's just too much work for one person to do so we decided to kind of do it in a way where we could support each other uh and lighten the load um so that's been really great we've been doing uh we've been doing an annual festival uh in august called new friends fest um Mm -hmm. Last year we had City of Caterpillar, Majority Rule, Lord Snow. Um, this year we had uh, Loma Prieta, Dangers, um, a couple other bands. I can't remember all of them booked, but obviously it didn't happen. Um, so that's been, you know, that's been really great. Um, it's nice to, um, it's nice to be able to, um, a, you know, book bands that I want to see and like give them a reason to come to Toronto. Uh, but also uh, kind of try and stay engaged uh, in the in the scene a bit. That's great, and yeah, that that's what I've learned is if you want to do something, if you want to make something happen, you just got to do it. Like when I was playing in bands in Brooklyn, I mean, I had friends that were playing shows almost every night of the week, and I'd be like, "Hey, can you get me on a show?" Hey, do and they just wouldn't help me at all. So I was like, so I was like, if I want to get this done, I got to do it myself. So I would book shows for us. And same thing with this podcast. You know what I mean? We learned, we learned how to do this shit remotely when COVID hit and we have the bands we like on, we do it exactly the way we want to do it. We produce it ourselves and it's a lot of fun. It keeps us connected and it's a great way to connect with, uh, with the artists we love when shows aren't happening. That's actually, this is funny. Uh, that's how I found you guys was the video somebody had posted of the New Friends DIY, the New Friends Fest from 2019. And I was listening to something on YouTube. I forget what it was. It might have been something like uh, Suffocate for fuck's sake or uh, Envy. I forget which one it was, but it was Both like great choices. Right. But it was also like it, it was like if you like this band, you might also like this. And it was in the recommended videos. And I was like. Oh, that's cool. Because the way you, the the thumbnail is, it it's literally just you two. But when I clicked on the video, I was like, "Oh, they have trumpet players. They have someone playing violin or viola." I was like, "I'm fucking, I'm down. Let's check this out." And I was just blown away. I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah, you guys sound so tight, and you take everything from 
so many different genres that I love. It's like, if you guys haven't listened to this band, it's, it's like the best. You of really sc- need to. The be- they're, they're like the best of like screamo and black metal and like the orchestral kind of like broken social scene. Godspeed. It, it is just, it's just phenomenal music and it's just really well put together. It's very thought out. And on top of that, uh, very politically minded. You guys are very, very uh, like it's so smartly done. It's I, I love like everything about it. I'm like, like you said, with the listening to the album, it's like, you know, the first track is amazing, but like it's one of those things that it's definitely it's experiential. Like you just keep lit, like you keep going with it and you keep getting something. I've listened to the album at least five times all the way through. It's just so great. And then somebody posted something not that long ago with, um, I don't know if, if you guys did it or not, just the, uh, just the instrumental tracks from one yeah. of the, from the one accompaniment of the, memorial? Yes. yeah, yes. yeah. I put that all the, all the time when I'm eating dinner or we're cooking dinner and I just put it on the little Bluetooth speaker and my daughters are always like, daddy, what is this? I'm like, it's a band from Canada. They're super awesome. Like, and they're always, <laughs> cause my kids are little, they're like six. So they're always like, oh, this is nice. I like this. I'm like, well, I'm glad we're listening to the instrumental because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't, you wouldn't like, they don't like anything with screaming in it. They're, they have a awesome. <laughs> We got to convert them. <laughs> yeah, you start with one, you, you then you move to the other. <laughs> Evelyn, Evelyn is slowly, when she was, I was listening to something the other day and she was like, I like that guy's voice. And I was like, oh, okay. It was, um, <laughs> She just thought it was neat. We were listening to co. I was listening to Coalesce in the car on the way to. Uh, I skateboard uh, every uh, Saturday and Sunday morning with my daughters. They build a brand new uh, concrete skate park near my house, so I take my little girls to go skate. And uh, I was like, I wanted to listen to something. I I like to get like kind of amped up before we go there. And I was like, I'm gonna listen to something heavy. So I put on Coalesce, and she was just like what is with his voice? And I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, you know, it's this guy, Sean Ingram, he, you know, he's got a very unique style of singing. And she's like, it sounds like it's just his throat making noises. <laughs> so interested by it. And I was like, yeah, sweetie, it's really good. But it, I, I played the beginning of, uh, oh my word. I can't believe I can't think of the name, but the, you know, like the one where he's like, what more do you want from me? Like it's just his <laughs> yeah. vocal track. And there she was like, this is kind of scary, but also engaging <laughs> she was like i like this and i was like look now you got your first taste of it this is good to go <laughs> this, is, this is what we need there's your entry so we're talking about respire that that is the band that rohan and egan are in and it's amazing and i like how it's described as post everything <laughs> it's, it's just such a succinct perfect summation of the band thank you <laughs> we, we, we had to workshop that for a while did did you like purposefully come up with that? Like we're post everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think usually when we try to explain this band, it's like you just end off being like, yeah, it's like post rock, post metal, like post black metal. What you know, it's it's just a lot of post blah. So yeah. we figured, you know, just put it all into one. <laughs> yeah, it's just post everything. I love that. It's and it's so like I think one of the things about your guys' sound is that you guys, uh, especially some of the, like the longer. Um, tracks like it, it goes from stuff that's unbelievably heavy to things that are extremely black metal influenced to things that are just 
absolutely beautiful and sublime. It's it's yeah. just you guys do a very very wonderful mix of like that those three kinds of things, and you go so gracefully from one to the other. It's just it's a really nice listen. And nowadays, when you know somebody's like, "Oh, check out this new band," I'm like. Okay. And then I hear it and I'm like, oh, that sounds like 40 other things I've heard before. I get it. Like I, I, I've heard a band like this. I've heard, actually, I've heard a dozen bands like this. Um, you guys are the first band in a long time that I've heard and went, that's new. That's fucking brand new. I've never heard anybody do something like that. Um, and that like, again, if you haven't checked out the, their live performance, that live performance from new friends fest is you have, I believe two trumpet players, a violin player, three guitar players, a bass player, and a drummer. Am I right on that? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. It It is so tight. And so, like, the beginning is literally just this slow build to literally, a, like, the old-style black metal blast beat. It, it's fucking awesome. It's so great. Thank you. Oh, thanks, yeah, thanks for the kind words. So let's talk about the formation of this band. Now, it's something like 10 people. So do, do you add people as time goes along or do you get 10 people together and say like, all right, here's, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. No, I think that's, that's very rare. Um, we kind of have, I guess, a, like a core membership um, of uh, three guitars, bass, drums, and violin. Uh, and then uh, we just kind of bring people in as, as we can and as it allows. I mean, you know, we're, I think we're, we're really lucky in that we have, um, a lot of really, really talented friends who are, uh, you know, in some cases, professional musicians, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, you know, they're playing, you know, gigs every night and, uh, you know, playing with large bands and like stadiums and stuff, and they still come and help us out. Um, so I think it's, it's more of a, um, we have kind of our core membership where we, uh, we get together as often as we can and, and we write, and we jam and we, uh, we tour, uh, and then we have, um, our extended family um, of uh, you know additional instruments, uh, which is stuff like you know, saxophone, uh, some of the trumpet stuff, um, who we bring in uh, for the record. Um, sometimes we're bringing them, bring them in for some li- bigger live shows if if they have the time, if they can make it out. It's uh yeah, it's definitely like an open door policy of maybe ten to you know twelve people that. Um, is this kind of extended family. When we first started the band, um, it was three guitars, bass, drums, and a trumpet player. Um, So, you know, that was kind of where it started. And then he went off to play with his other bands more so, which is totally fine. And then we came to uh, start playing with Eslin, our violin player. Um, So, yeah, I mean... It's it's a core group, like Rohan said, and then for the record, uh, you know, we we generally kind of I guess score everything out for guitars and uh, bass, being so many kind of you know uh, notes flying around. We try to make sure there's enough space for everybody and everything. Um, so you know, when we kind of leave the pre-production aspect and go to the go to the recording, it's a matter of um, talking to all those people in the extended family, seeing who's available and who's interested in, in being part of the new record, uh, sitting down with them and then just kind of workshopping parts um, beforehand. And then also um, a significant part of Denouement uh, and that recording process was pretty improvisational when it comes to um, the saxophones and some of the other 
horn editions and things like that. So we we generally like to, you know, um, let our friends play in the moment and just keep recording and uh, build songs together sort of piece by piece. I love that. It's like a whole collective. You got a, a different people doing different things and whoever's there, whoever can be a part of it will be a part of it in, in how, whichever way they contribute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had, uh, like, for example, Jordan Mason uh, on Denouement. And Jordan is, like, a extremely accomplished, uh, like, indie folk singer mm-hmm. um, in Toronto. Uh, and, you know, I, I had been a fan for many, many years. And like, I just, like, randomly ran into them uh, on the street, uh, you know, gushing about their music and then got them on the record. And on, on this record, Blackline, we have our friend... Uh, who we toured with before, and he he lives in Sweden. So you know we're we're slowly starting to kind of expand the family uh, internationally. You know maybe we'll have somebody from like Suffocate for Fuck's Sakes on the next record, or you know we'll do start doing like guest features. Nice, yeah. And you know Tommy Tommy discovered the band, and he sent me the track Bound, like I was mentioning uh, in the beginning of the podcast. And I was just so instantly gripped by it. I threw it right on my Spotify playlist for the year, and I was listening to it over and over and over again. And that that happens to me. I'll get so hung up on one song that it takes me a minute to circle around to the rest of the album, which is what happened to me. And, you know, I believe there's, like, this connection in the music because, like, they, like it's that a, a certain energy went into that song, you know, that, like, I can feel it because I went through something similar. And... So when I read when I read about Bound and I read that it was written about the final moments of someone in active addiction, I was surprised and I wasn't surprised because like I was instantly grabbed by that song and that's something I've gone through fairly recently. You know, I struggled for a really long time with drugs and alcohol and around 2017 I got my act together and I find that you know that that when I'm so gripped by a song like that there's some there's some connection, there's similar feelings or there's similar influences or some kind of connection yeah i mean I, I, absolutely and uh it was actually the same year that i also got sober so <laughs> wow congrats to both of us um, yes but yeah man i mean genouement was uh like all the music was written right before i went to rehab in 2017 and then i checked in uh in november or december and then like i got out with lyrics and we hit this. We were in studio record, recording the songs. Maybe like two weeks after I got out. So, so you know, I think now, yeah, it's it's kind of weird because we, you know, I tend to leave lyrics <laughs> sort of probably later than I'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's I think it's funny when the energies sort of line up, anyways. And like, you know, we were writing the songs before recording them for maybe about a year or so it was all sort of during that process of trying to figure figure out my life and figure out you know all this past and all this trauma and like heaviness and what I wanted to do moving forward whether I wanted to you know keep going through this cycle um or if I actually had it in me to break away and um you know believe in myself enough to do something different um so yeah, I mean, I I re- definitely really appreciate um, the resonance <laughs> and the fact that uh, yeah, that's so strange and it's it's so awesome. And were you were you a mess when you were recording this album? Because when I got out of rehab, 
or I was in detox for a week. I was a mess. My my emotions were all over the place. I would cry at almost every song or every movie. And Denouement is just such a roller coaster ride of emotions. I mean, you must have been all over the place when you were recording that thing. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you know, I was I was away for a whole month, um, not seeing my friends, not seeing my bandmates, my girlfriend, my my parents. So even just that was like a pretty raw experience and, um, you know, a lot of introspection. Um, and then, you know, being cut out back into the wild to record a record definitely can be a little hard. I mean, and I, I wasn't free of, you know, um, it wasn't like I was, you know, out of, out of the rehab and just like, you know, on, on the complete right track right away. So obviously, you know, it was a struggle. Um, and continue to be a struggle a little bit, you know, after that, but it was a really healing process. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of fundamentally why we do what we do and why we play in a band like Respire and play the kind of music that we play is um, because it has this, you know, really uh, healing sense of catharsis and, uh, you know, empowerment in talking about your problems and in kind you know, uh, radical vulnerability and and just putting yourself and all the shitty things you might think about yourself uh out there as this thing that you know i've i've been able to grow past and and change from so now looking back at it it's uh you know i appreciate how honest i was able to be um but i also you know am very proud of the progress and uh proud of it as like a you know, a, a point in a point in time, I guess. Yeah. And I, you know, I did a similar thing. I went to detox, got out, lasted a couple months, went right back to what I was doing and it got worse than ever. Then I finally got clean for good. And I rec- started recording an EP, I don't know, six months later. And that EP ended up being about the whole experience, you know, getting clean, relapsing, getting clean again, and all the th- thoughts and feelings I experienced it was a really healing experience. And yeah, I stumbled along the way and I really had to learn. And I've, I've grown a lot in the last, I don't know, three and a half years since I was able to leave all that behind. And so what, Egan, what do you do now to keep yourself in check? Like me, there's certain things I'm involved. There's certain things I'm involved in that, that keep me straight and uh, keep me helping others. And and all that type of stuff. And I always say this on the podcast, if anyone has have similar, if anyone out there has similar struggles, email me, I'll tell you what worked for me. But Egan, what do you do to keep yourself centered? I, I threw myself into music, man. I mean, re- really, you know, um, right around the time that I got out, got out and got clean was when we started New Friends DIY, mm-hmm. uh, when we started, you know, running festivals and, uh, right before I went in was like our first European tour. And and that was just a really, you know, life-changing and humbling experience to be able to meet people so far away that also really kind of get it, you know, and resonate with what you're trying to do and put out. So I, yeah, I left, I left and for the, you know, first couple years, just try to focus as much as I could on, on myself and the things that actually gave me, you know, value and pleasure in life, um, which was music and, and community around music, um, and my friends who've stuck through me and, 
and all that. So yeah, for a while it was music. Now I'm in law school. So uh. my, my life is a whole new world of hell, but, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I, I keep busy. So d- were you able to just stop every, now I don't know if you like still do anything or not, but let me ask you this. Are you able to manage it by staying active in law school and music and, you know, just keeping yourself busy? Like, I could not stop no matter what. I would I would try to substitute, you know, I'll, I'll stop doing this and I'll just do this. Like, nothing worked. Nothing worked. It always brought me back to the, the lowest, darkest place. And I had to really get involved in some different shit and really change my life around to stop. Like, do you, how do you manage it? Do you, do you just stay busy and you're okay? Or is there still temptation? I mean, yeah, of course, you know, there's always temptation and there's always a uh, dark sort of self-doubt and, and, and all that like energy, which I think really, you know, is triggering to, to want to escape. But uh, I mean, I think therapy is, is always a really big thing or has mm-hmm. been a big thing, you know, and, um, and really trying to, you know, always figure out what my actual values are and what's actually of importance to me. Mm-hmm. Not something that, you know, is comes down from society or from my parents or from somewhere else, but what I think gives me that joy and, and that value. And, you know, it's just been, I guess, a process of trying to be honest with myself and trying to give myself the things that actually matter to me. You know, I think for a while I just, I, you know, was in a place where I didn't know what I was supposed to be or who I was supposed to be or you know, what was expected of me. And I, and I just like lost myself in, you know, a decade plus of just trying to be someone else or trying to fit in in another way that wasn't right for me. You know, I, I, so, I mean, it's, it's obviously helps to have a support system. It helps to find friends that are able to be sober with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It helps to, you know, find those things that are actually of, of importance and just do them, you know, and, and let yourself enjoy the things that you enjoy. And also when things get hard, you know, let yourself be sad and, and, and try to learn from the things that happen instead of just kind of being, um, you know, passively reacting or letting things overwhelm which i mean things always overwhelm <laughs> right uh, yeah i don't know i mean it's it's a work in progress right i for yeah, sure these these days are are harder on addicts than most days are so you know it's it definitely isn't easy but it's it's been all right just in that like i mean i can't honestly even recognize my life like four years ago compared to what I, what I live now, how I live now. So. Right. It feels like a bad dream. I can't Mm -hmm. believe I was able to sustain what I was doing for that long. Mm -hmm. My life is just completely different. Now we were talking about the responsibilities. Now I have a girlfriend who has a 14 year old daughter. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have two cats. Uh, We're talking about moving in eventually. I mean, there's just, all these adult responsibilities that I never imagined that I would have. And, you know, four years ago I was living in a house with three roommates who were 10 years younger than me. And, uh, well, it was a very dark scene. Let's, let's just put it that way. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I like, you know, really believe in change and I believe in personal growth, um, that we are all capable of. I think, you know, 
society kind of tends to beat us down and and tell us that you know as an addict or as a weirdo or as a freak or an immigrant or whatever you might be that you're not enough or that you know it's the good things in life are necessarily for us or whatever you know and i think you know we just it requires work but we can kind of you know divorce ourselves from all those expectations and mm-hmm. all these kind of you know things to figure out what it is that really matters for us and like i said yeah it's just a continuous project for sure so question for rohan was Egan a huge pain in the ass in the band and in general before he got his act together oh man i i so i i met Egan in like 2008 and uh they were always trying to get me to be in a band and i was like no you're far too irresponsible uh and uh yeah i mean there's definitely times when you know we uh we had to be a babysitter and uh it was yeah it was, it was definitely annoying uh i mean obviously <laughs> uh we did it because we you know we, we love them and you know they're part of the family uh but there's definitely you know nights when we're out and um you know after turn to darren and be like hey keep an eye on again because you know I can, <laughs> I can see i can see um making sketchy phone calls or or wandering uh, off in the distance with some people like random people we don't know um so yes yes uh it was a massive pain in the ass but i you know i'm glad that uh that things are things are much better now and uh you know I'm, it's it's nice to see your your friends uh um grow and heal and uh, you know have uh move past uh the things that you know bring them down and and wreak havoc on their lives so i think uh you know we're all we're all proud of Egan. so i think that's 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 how we can put it i love that you guys stayed friends that you're still in a band together because i've I've lost friends. I've had friends who died. I've I've been in several bands that have fallen apart in in part due to my behavior. Oh, here's a question, Rohan. Would would Egan ever pull the move where you'd be in like a different city playing a show somewhere and he would just disappear like for the night? That was my thing. I would wander off like <laughs> looking looking for the goods, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't I don't think that ever actually happened because we knew that we could not let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's really uh, nice. So yeah, we we just we 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 Egan knew that that wasn't an option. Uh, yeah, there, there would be times where I'd be like, "No, like we're in Berlin, like we have to go dance, we have to go party." Yeah, uh, and then they, you know, would just be like, "Okay, fuck, I guess we're coming with you." Like, yes, I, <laughs> I guess we're not going to bed yet. <laughs> like, <all right. laughs> yeah, we 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 divvied it up. So I think there was like you know a night when like Ben went out with you. Uh, in Vienna, and then like yeah. there was another night when like I went out with you in Montreal because we're like I was like everyone else was tired. And I was like, all right, someone's gotta someone's gotta be the the, the chaperone. <laughs> I love that it's literally like a family. Because if I had a friend who I had to put that much effort into, I'd be like, fuck this, like <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I'm I am very lucky that uh, I you know found a group of people that I could actually rely on as support. Um, you know, but I mean, like you said, you know, you lose people and or people just fade away or you just have to cut certain people off. Right. Um, and I am. Yeah, I'm very happy that Respire didn't cut me off. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I, I have I have my party friends who I had in New York. I don't really see them anymore for obvious reasons. Uh, I had a good friend who died of an overdose a couple years ago. So, you know, I, he's always in my thoughts. And any any friends that I made pre getting into the darkest days of drugs, I still have because I don't have that association with them. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. they're they're just people that I don't necessarily associate with drugs. So 
I came in, I got into extreme music, hardcore, during like the metallic crossover boom of the late 90s. So your Coalesce and your Botch and your Converge and your Dillinger Escape Plan and all that. So I was heavily into that kind of stuff. Uh, so the crossover sounds are really my bread and butter. They they always end up being the bands that I like the most. And Respire has elements of everything, like we were talking about. It's heavy, it's dark, it's beautiful, it's cinematic, it's got it all. So what you know? What kind of stuff was everybody into when we're putting this band together? I think that the the kind of the the, the thread that probably unites us all is like we're all into you know screamo emo, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff. I think that's what has uh, has united us but i think we all have our um you know our quirks and eccentricities of what we like you know like i can uh, you know it really was really into the you know mid-2000s indie um you know i i'm a big fan of like post-rock yeah um, you know travis our drummer uh loves metalcore you know his favorite band growing up was like poison the well uh and then you know darren when he was uh you know a teenager was playing metalcore but he was also like into like in flames and stuff so like he's got a he's got a little bit more shred in him than uh, than the rest of us do, uh, and then our you know our violin player uh, you know grew up basically her entire life uh, playing classical music. So um, I think that you know we kind of draw from uh, you know a, a pretty deep well of of potential influences, um, and I think that you know you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that you know we 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 sound new, and I think that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to do we're trying to make music that's not. Uh, the same as other stuff we want to uh you know put our own own stamp on something and i think that um you know as as you know a lot of people who play in bands uh, will probably uh, i'd understand um you, know, you when you're when you're writing songs you have a tendency to subconsciously rip off bands that you like uh yes. and then and then you you know you you play it for like 10 minutes and you're like oh this is awesome and then you're like oh no it's literally the exact same rip as another band yeah. Uh, but luckily when there's so many people who are bringing their own perspectives um that transforms really quickly into something new and i think that's kind of uh you know, that's the respire songwriting process in a nutshell you you're you rip off a band and then uh the rest of your bandmates bail you out <laughs> yeah like you know it could be the same riff but you throw a violin on top of that and then you know a trumpet it's a it's a whole new thing <laughs> uh yeah i think i think we'd like to keep things interesting i mean honestly when we first started the band we were you know the first two records i think really were just us trying to create a cohesive sound and i think we really did that on denouement uh to a place where you know we were very happy with uh and then we sort of kind of you know threw the textbook out uh for black line our new record uh and we've got we've got two singles out right now and cicatrice in particular has like you know four parts that just kind of shift like at the flip of a coin like it's just you know you're in one gear and then all of a sudden it's something completely different and then again it goes somewhere else and i think the record is full of a lot of those kinds of uh drop of the hat changes and so we were trying to you know mostly i think primarily for our own interest and just you know our own fun um but trying to on this record especially trying to really put in all these influences in a really tight package um you know that's very aggressive and uh makes its point fast <laughs> um whereas i think before we were a little bit more uh long form i think black line is all the things respire does in a you know much tighter faster package 
That sounds very exciting. Yes, and folks, make sure you check out Respire. I mean, don't make the mistake of writing them off as some new post-crossover band or whatever. Really, the whole discography I dove into, and it's just it's just incredible. It it really takes you on a journey. They even have an an uh, orchestral accompaniment album, Memorial, that pairs with Denouement. Now, tell us, how do you write those in tandem, or does Memorial come after Denouement? I think the uh, the the idea was we we just took all the parts of uh, Denouement, all the tracks that weren't guitars, vocals, bass, and drums. Mm-hmm. And we listened to them on their own. And we're like, hey, that would look, that would sound great in a movie. Why don't we, why don't we get some sync royalties out of this? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, no, I, I kid. No, no, that never happened. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've gotten no movie money. It's just everyone, everyone wants to put this will destroy you in their movies. And they're like, hey, post-rock song. And then it's like, this will destroy you. Yeah, they're like the go-to. What is it, Burial and the Presidio Banks or and the other one? I mean, it's I a it, it's a great song. So I'm not. I, I really can't be mad, but yeah. But the, you know, they could spread the money around a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's 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 great to hear about Memorial because I mean, it was we put it out as something that like we really enjoyed mm-hmm. um, and we thought was special and you know valid as its own release. I mean a label from Europe called left hand wanted to do like a special edition tape of denouement and they wanted to do something else to go with it. So we kind of took that opportunity as being like, okay, well, you know, let's just put this out, not knowing at all if people would hate it or like it or just not get it. And we pretty much gotten all of those responses online. There's been (laughs) people that are like, Wait, these are just the same songs. We're like, dude, yeah, they're just, it's the same name, it's the same <laughs> album cover, like it's the same order for goodness sake. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, we put it out. So it's 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 nice to hear that um that you like it because we like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's not to like? It's like it's it's great. It's different packaging of the same band. Like I'm I'm studying for this big exam I got to take in December, right? I'm not necessarily going to throw on Denouement while I'm studying for that exam, but I can throw on Memorial and, you know, I'm still getting my fix of Respire. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I was so excited because uh, I I told Keith about you guys, you know, a few months back and I was like, oh yeah, uh, I saw, I don't remember where the post was, but I was like, they have a new album coming out. And then I was like, wait, it's not coming out right away. I don't know. There's something going wrong with the label or something like that. I'm not sure what's going on. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Like what happened with Holy Roar? Yeah. Now folks, to pull back the curtain a little bit, we were, we were all booked and set to have Egan and Rohan on the show. And I think the news broke about Holy Roar the day before we were supposed to record or something. So thankfully we're all here now getting to talk. So tell us a little, yeah, set the stage for us. Where were you when you heard? What steps did you have to take, et cetera? Um, so, so we um, kind of uh, right when uh, Daniel Mont came out, um, shortly after um, Alex from Holy Roar reached out to us and was like, Hey, I'm really interested. Your record's awesome. Uh, you know, let me know when um, you guys are ready to do something new. Um, and then, so we, we circle back and, you know, at the time, um, you know, we're not plugged into the UK, um, heavy music scene. Um, but, you know, from a distance, you know, Holy Roar had a really, really amazing roster of bands, you know, bands like Svalbard and Rolo Tomasi and, uh, Palmer and Conjure and Pine, and, uh, you know, a bunch of really awesome bands. Um, 
and a really great reputation for putting out, uh, you know, awesome, good music uh, and doing it right. Um, so we were pretty excited about, uh, you know, joining the, the roster and, and being part of it. Uh, and then we, you know, we announced that we were on Holy Roar uh, and, um, you know, it was the first thing we had announced in a while. We were pretty quiet uh, on social media for you know several months. Um, and, you know, that day people were, there's a lot of excitement. And that day we got a, we got a message from one of our friends um, saying that um, there was going to be a statement made about Alex being an abuser. Um, and um, it was um, something that they asked us not to talk about publicly until the statement was made. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, so we had kind of this, uh, this weight around our necks where it's like, Hey, we have to pretend that everything is okay. Uh, and continue the, the promo cycle for this. Um, but we know that, you know, the, the hammer is going to drop at any point. And right. we don't, you know, we didn't know the details of, of the accusations. We just knew that something was going to come out, but we couldn't do anything about it until it happened. Um, so what that did was, uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it um, I don't want to in any way paint ourselves as the victims of the situation because we're not, um, we're just, I guess, collateral damage. Uh, you know, there are legitimate victims of the situation. And I think that the, the first thing we wanted to do was make sure that they were the people who, um, you know, we had the, who, whose, uh, well-being and their, um, their, their safety and their, um, their, uh, I guess their path to justice was, was the one, was the, was the thing that was going to be centered throughout our, our, our thought process. Yes. Um, but you know, we were in the situation where, um, we needed to, um, I guess, make some decisions around, um, you know, how we wanted to uh, approach this. So I guess the, the positive thing was by finding out, uh, finding out, you know, a little bit in advance, we had a chance to, to talk, uh, amongst ourselves and, and figure out where we stood. And, you know, it was pretty clear where we stood. You wanted to stand on the side of the, of the victims in this situation. So, um, you know, when it all went down, we, um, we had a, you know, we started a group chat with a bunch of the bands on, on Holy Roar. Um, we were pretty, you know, uh, heartened because everyone was kind of on the same page. Uh, we, demanded i guess um accountability from alex we kind of stated our position where we were um and it kind of became clear that that accountability was not going to come forward uh you know he did you guys hear from alex at all uh we did not hear directly from alex except when he released us from our contract that was the that was the the only thing i heard we heard directly from alex um everything else was went through um the employees of holy roar at the time um, who were, you know, they were part of our, our group chat. They were, you know, they were also collateral damage throughout the whole um, situation. You know, I think that uh, they were also pretty shocked uh, to hear about uh, these allegations. They, um, you know, they took action uh, pretty much right away as well. Um, and I want to make sure that, you know, they're not uh, tarred by, um, you know, the actions that led to the, the downfall of Holy Roar. Because I think, you know, they're all um pretty stand-up people who also did the right thing at you know pretty significant personal expense right so where does alex stand on this whole thing did he release a statement yeah he he released a pretty garbage statement that <laughs> is pretty typical sort of victim blaming uh you know i will have my day in court 
sort of. Oh. But, you know, like, I mean, the whole thing was just a, just a pretty big shit show. I, you know, we, in New Friends DIY and in, you know, in any sort of community, you're you're always going to have to deal with unfortunate things like this. I mean, this wasn't the first time that somebody had told us that, uh, you know, a band that we were booking or a person that was coming to shows or whatever it might be uh, had been in a, you know, in an abusive situation or what mm-hmm. have you. So this wasn't, you know, anything new for us to deal with, but definitely the most kind of directly involved situation that, that we were in. So, you know, we tried to kind of, we try to give him the, 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 at least our hope in the very beginning was that we could be a, a tool to, you know, make him see that there was a way to save his label and there was a way to be better about this. Right. And just, you know, do the right steps to seek accountability to, you know, distance from distance themselves from the label right away and, and, and do, you know, the work that one needs to do to be better. So, you know, we made the demands and we, we were trying to sort of, you know, put a little pressure on him and it didn't really go that way. So at that point we, we just, you know, uh, just detonated the whole relationship and and put the record on pause um, for that time being out of respect. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can kind of gauge, I don't know what happened, obviously, but I will say you can kind of gauge the situation by the person's response. I've seen responses where people take accountability and I've seen responses where people double down and just say, you know, yeah, like you said, I'll have my day in court and yeah, it's just it's an unfortunate situation for sure, but it's great that the bands can come together and the employees and make a decision because, you know, when everybody comes together like that and uh in favor of the victims, we prevent another Harvey Weinstein type situation where shit is going on for decades unchecked. Yeah, I mean it's it's it has been um great to at least I mean the so Justine who was one of the people that um, I mean, really kind of ran Holy Roar, uh, now has her own label with her husband called Churchwood Records. And she's uh, put out this Fallbard record that was supposed to come out on Holy Roar. She's putting out our record that's supposed to supposed was supposed to come out on Holy Roar and Palm Readers as well. So it's been good to see, um, you know, kind of the right people who had put all this, you know, passionate work in actually not get dragged down as well and be able to emerge. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very shitty, but I feel like it could have been shittier. I mean, t- to my knowledge, there hasn't been any sort of, um, you know, further legal consequences for anybody or anything. So Holy Roar is definitely done. That's That's for sure. So the new album is Blackline. It's coming out December 4th. Yes? Yes. Correct. Now let's talk about this album. Where you've stated it's a shorter, more concise respire. It sounds like a exciting, punchy little package that I can't wait to hear. And I've heard the new singles, which I love. It's pure respire. I'm looking forward to more. So, what are some of the? What are some? If you're willing to share, uh, what are some of the themes on Black Line? Now, in Day New Mom, we're talking about our journey through addiction and our climbing out of the darkness. So. What's some of the stuff we're dealing with in Blackline? Like, if I was going to write an EP now, I don't even know what I'd write about, to be honest. The inspiration always comes, but uh, let's. what's uh, some of the themes behind Blackline? 
I guess the biggest developments post Denouement in 2017-2018, you know, really you know, it, it 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 was it's a very weird position to be in when you're like trying to work on yourself and trying to be better um uh, and everything around you seemingly is going to shit mm-hmm. um politically, socially, culturally. So, you know, when we were when we were writing the music itself, it, it, like I said, it was, you know, kind of aggressive off the bat. Um, and, you know, it was, there was still that sort same sort of kind of desperation and urgency, except it wasn't necessarily, I think so self directed, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, black line is, is kind of taking a reexamining of, of recovery in a state where things all around us aren't recovering. So it is, you know, kind of a direct reflection of where we are as people in this world that we're living in. That's, you know, uh, we wrote the lyrics and recorded the record right around the time that Australia was having their wild bushfires in like, I don't know, 2018, 2019. So, so the backdrop really was this kind of, you know, the, the whole world on fire and the force in California and BC, um, you know, Donald Trump being president and, and a whole country seemingly turning against itself and minorities and immigrants like ourselves, you know, trying to kind of reexamine our place in North America and like, you know, where, how do we move forward from this and where do we move forward from this? So it's really kind of, you know, it's, it's a reexamining of all these kinds of relationships that we have with the place we're from and the people that we're around. And in the same way that, you know, recovery is about believing in yourself. I think black line is, is more about believing in, you know, your community and the people that you hold close who have been there for you and who, you know, you're there for. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a look at where we are and the, what we think are the important things to kind of, you know, get us through this and lift us up, which is community, each other, and, you know, collective work, I guess. Rohan? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's essentially, um, to, to boil it down, uh, the world is absolutely fucked. Uh, we're in the middle of a, a you know, climate catastrophe. Um, I'm, I, I'm someone, you know, I work in the environmental sector. I'm, I'm absolutely terrified of the impacts of climate change. You know, they're, they're already happening. They're already really bad. Uh, things are getting significantly worse. Um, you know, America, uh, you know, 45% or 50% of Americans, even if Trump doesn't win, um, have, you know, voted for a president who, uh, you know, doesn't even really believe in climate change. Um, even if Biden wins, the, 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 you know, the Republicans are going to hold the Senate. America's probably not going to do anything about climate change uh, for at least another couple of years. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we see the, the hate and the division uh, being sowed, um, you know, not even, not even just, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, but across the world. Um, people are being, you know, othered uh, based on their skin color, their sexual orientation, their sexual, their gender identity. Uh, their religion, uh, their race, um, and um, you know we're 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 pretty sickened by it, um, and um, you know we're we think that it's it's you know it's it's a little bit of um, hey how do you function in this kind of world and how do you get through it and how do you 
um, you know, how do you deal with the anxieties that come with, with surviving in this, in the, in a world that's, you know, kind of spiraling out of control. Um, but also, you know, how can we get together and how can we find, uh, you know, how can we use art as a, as a, um, you know, as a medium of resistance, um, and how can we come together and, and, you know, what, what do we need to hold, uh, dear and what do we need to cherish, uh, in these tough times? Um, and how can we, um, how can we, you know, be the change that we want to see? That's great. Yeah. And I think so many people feel all of those things. It, uh, the world is just so fucked right now. I don't remember regular life anymore. Who would have predicted that any out indoor gathering would end? Who would have predicted that live music would end? Live music. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's that's like one of the the last natural highs. And I, I never imagined that it would be completely gone. And man, it's just it's just one thing after another lately. And the the COVID thing, everyone's stuck inside, tensions rising, and you know, the way the where I stand politically and what I expect from Congress and presidents and service members, like the old is it's not enough anymore. It's not enough to be middle of the road. It's not enough to to just, you know, play to corporate interests. It's not enough. I want progressive candidates. I want real change. I want real significant things to happen. And things are so fucked right now that I, I'm I'm hoping Joe Biden is president. And Joe Biden has essentially promised that nothing will change. And and I'm not talking about all the damage that Trump has done. I'm just talking about the establishment. And that that doesn't work for me. Like I really want something different, but you know, just the just the way things are so bad right now, like we're hoping for Joe Biden. Like that's 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 what we want. It is quite uh quite disheartening living in a world like that. And I think uh yeah. the 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 point you brought up about COVID is um is uh, I think I want to mention that we, you know, we finished recording this in March. Um, so ev- everything that, you know, everything that we wrote and all the lyrics and all the, all the themes and all the art and the, um, you know, the songs are, you know, we're all pre COVID. I think that, you know, everything that we wrote, you know, rings more true than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nine months later or eight months later. Yeah. Which isn't a, you know, very like, it's not a prediction that we kind of obviously wanted to, <laughs> to, you know, come true, but it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a crazy year for sure from, you know, it, from COVID to kind of the, the police reaction to yes. uh, protests for racial justice in America. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's right in our backyard too. I mean, there's, you know, these sorts of problems exist in Canada as well. And the, you know, police officers are, are, are gunning down and arresting an, a, you know, an inordinate amount of racialized people in Canada and in Toronto. And we have more right-wing protesters and, you know, pseudo militia groups than ever in Canada. So it's, it's, it's a hard time for sure. Yeah. We, we started this podcast. We recorded the first four, I think right before COVID hit. And then when we premiered it, everything was getting shut down and the, we didn't want to do it virtually like this because I don't know. I didn't think you would get as good an interview and that it just wouldn't be as personal, but we figured it out. We're making it work and it's great. And Oh man, it's, I've lost all sense of time. I just, I think back to early episodes, I think back to March, April and Oh, everything just changes so much month to month. It's, it's crazy. 
Absolutely. Who knows what 2021 will be? Probably more of the same, but hopefully yeah. not worse. <laughs> I know to always expect the unexpected now. Like, <laughs> I just, I'm just preparing myself. I'm like, be ready for anything. You, We don't know what's going to happen anymore. I, I was going to say, I think that is also speaks to kind of the general atmosphere, especially right now um, in the United States is a lot of people are just on edge and people are, you know, it, it's never been, I, I mean, you know, I'm only 38. However, uh, I, I've never seen more tribalized kind of groups of people, especially around political factions um, where it's literally become like, Oh, I'm not talking to you anymore because you voted for this person. And the vast majority of times I'm seeing it, I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing is, is like, I understand your idea behind it. But at this point in time, I feel like we need other people as much as we can. Uh, We're going to get through things, but only through that unification and through that idea that, like the good will eventually hopefully soon arise and they will be victorious. We've, we've gotten to the point now where I see a lot of people that are so uh, just everything is uh, like, I'm I'm in a series of text threads with other teachers at my school. And even sometimes like you can feel it just through someone's words where you see like something small happens in a classroom and the person is falling apart and you're like, okay, I'm glad I'm on this thread. Look, we can talk you through this. This is not that big a deal. Just, you know, the principal came and observed you. They might've been there because X, Y, and Z, they might've been there because the charter renewal is coming up. We might, we, you know, uh, like having, depending on other people is such an utmost important thing right now that I'm like, I, I hate when I see people like, derive it like look i'm not talking to this person anymore and i understand the idea behind it like okay you your your idea of politics is literally antithetical to every single thing i believe um i understand that but at the same time i think the reality of it is is that the only way that we're going to be able to come back together is through finding some type of common ground that we can all agree on and i think a, a great place to start especially in the united states right now is like talking about okay what is our ultimate ultimately what do we want to accomplish and how can we do this and the thing is is that i think so many of us are so far removed from what the political system has really become and what it actually is you know uh the like the idea of like if you ever saw how a hot dog was made you would never eat one um (laughs) the the same idea i think can be applied to politics if if we truly understood how genuinely corrupt and how honestly depraved even some of the leaders that we look up to really are. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, yes. they are really establishment people yes. and you know, they toe the line because that's what they have to do to play the game. And I, and I feel like, I don't know. The game is so rigged. It's, it's just, it's hard to go ahead. I'm so sorry. Go. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I definitely agree. man. I think, uh, you know, the role of government, if anything, should be to make the lives of the citizenry better in whatever, you know, just have yeah. people live a good life to what their sort of definition of good might be, you know, and in, in, in you have to help people. I mean, in Canada, you know, whether it's healthcare or whatever, we have more social service programs and you can't just keep cutting these things down and expect to have a healthy, happy, successful people in the long run 
it's yeah. not going to work out. So I think, I think you're right, you know, and I think people, especially when the government isn't of any help, people have to, and they have been, you know, forming new alliances and forming new sort of, you know, uh, grassroots ways of, of, of helping each other out. And I do think that it's, it's going to be more of that, that ends up being helpful, you know, and it's, it's going to have to be people coming together on, on, on some sort of way, whether it's economically, whether it's, you know, through education or whatever, um, we inevitably people are going to have to reach across those divides and, and talk to each other. I mean, you live next to each other. Yeah. I, 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 I think about it in terms of like, uh, so I, I'm a math teacher and I always think about when my first couple years, the way I was taught to teach, uh, was by a series of what I used to, I used to call them the old guard, like the people that had started working there, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And now I'm looking at it going like, I can't believe I taught like that because essentially it was rule by iron fist kid makes a mistake, make an example of them. And what I've found in the last you know decade or so of teaching is that the more that the kids are willing to, or the more that the, the kids actually like me and, and feel comfortable around me, the more that they're way more likely to ask for help when they're struggling with something, whether that's personal or academic. And it's one of these things that I feel like that can be applied to so many different venues in the world. It, if we were just a little bit more kind and just a little bit more understanding and accepting of what others are going through, um, I, I think we would all be, you know, better off because, you know, that's what's that, that old Plato quote, the, uh, you know, be kind to others for, you know, not what battles they fight, you know, it, being kind right now is, is of the utmost importance because if you think about this, essentially what the United States is going through right now is 50% of the population voted for one person and 50% of the population voted for the other person. And that's a big problem in the, well, in the end, someone's going to lose. So you're going to have a huge, well, not a, you're not going to have a majority or minority. I mean, if it's 50, 50, you're going to have a huge segment of the population that feels like their voices weren't heard. So whether that's Biden's camp or Trump's camp, you're going to have an enormous amount of people that feel like, the system has failed them. And I think that uh, being cognizant of like, okay, well, here's the idea. The system that we're functioning on right now is essentially non-functional. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you know, right. It, people have lost their jobs. People have been stuck inside their homes. It's not, you know, anybody's fault, but it is a fault of a general system that is unable to kind of put the needs of people first and be able to take care of people, right? I mean, and like that's... it there is so much loss and hurt going around. Um, but I, you know, it's, I feel like everybody's just like very, like it's, it's easier to be able to point it to the other guy, but yeah. I mean, everybody's hurting, like you said, right? Like it's, you know, there's, it's, you, I would hope that it would be times like this where things just affect, you know, millions of people at the same time that we would kind of look around and be like, shit, we're on the same boat, but that's yeah. probably not how it's going to play out. No, <laughs> but that's, and, and, but that's the, that's the, that's the fascist playbook though. Isn't it? Isn't it, you know, society is in upheaval. Um, people are struggling. Why don't we all unite around a external enemy and blame the enemy? And, you know, that enemy could be, uh, you know, uh, immigrants or Muslims or, uh, you know, people who uh, think that 
uh, police shouldn't kill unarmed black and brown people. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the whole politics of division. And, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, it's hard to, and I get your point, you know, you're talking about how we need to, you know, we need to talk to each other and, and have those conversations and not kind of cut people off. Um, but it's really hard to, to, you know, have, um, keep those lines of communication open when, you know, half of the country or a third of the country or whatever is, is, you know, living in a, in a fantasy world, a, a bubble where they're not, um, you know, they're living in a different reality and, you know, their truth is not the truth. It's they're, they're, you know, they're, they're living in an echo chamber and their ecosystem is, you know, whatever, um, you know, your crazy uncle's posting on Facebook or uh, Fox <laughs> right. news or whatever, where they're not, you know, they're getting a, a small, fragment of of what's actually going on yeah it's scary because i mean it's split down the middle we're living in a in the in the united states half of the country is supporting donald trump that's half of the population and that's that's scary and people this is the powers that be or what i mean it's not a coincidence it's not a coincidence that we're split down the middle that we're fighting with each other that we're blaming it on this president or that we're blaming it on that candidate and it's not a coincidence that the richest people in the country are getting richer during a pandemic while so many regular people are out of work and dying and i mean it's just the whole system is fundamentally broken and people are so brainwashed they can't see like no we need to unite and work with each other it's like no like poor people are conditioned to believe that you know if they work hard enough they're going to become a billionaire one day and you know poor people are think that billionaires paying taxes is socialism and they're against it and it's just there's just so much fucking misinformation in this country it's it's maddening well the thing about the thing about poor people in america is there's no poor people there's only people who aren't rich yet and that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the you know that's the myth that everyone's been sold Oh, that's a that's a huge old school like uh that this is one of those like this is nerdy keith you probably cut this but this is that (laughs) whole idea of that you know horatio alger you know up from the bootstraps you just pull yourself up and you're able to take care of yourself you work hard we live in a meritocracy therefore if you work hard your word hard work will eventually be recognized and you'll be rewarded for it um but what you finally start to come and see is that um, especially now that I get older, I see kids that, um, I teach in, 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 uh, urban school and it's like, I have kids that come in day in, day out and bust their ass. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is our education system has failed them. Mm-hmm. They are two to three grades behind. I don't care how hard you work in each class. There is a certain amount of gaps that just will not be met. Uh, you know, when I'm teaching kids certain, you know, this is how you set up, uh, a, a certain proportion, or this is how you um, solve linear equations, and they can't divide properly. It's like Jesus, we dropped the ball so fucking long ago with this. Like this is third. They, they, we dropped the ball in third grade, and we've continued passing this dropped ball from grade to grade to grade without anybody ever intervening. And I think that that's the same idea that we've done now in the, especially in the U.S., is where we've taken things that have been broken for years and years and kind of as the saying goes, kick the can down the road. You know, we've, we've continually just gone, well, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that at a later point. It's like, well, when, when, <laughs> when, when are we going to finally address these issues? Because if we don't step up and say something or we don't have movement towards like that progress, 
we're never going to see even incremental improvements. Um, yeah, and now, and now vote has become a platitude. It's like, I want this specific change. Vote. Okay, but what the fuck are you going to do when I vote for you? You're going to yeah. tell me to vote for you again, and that's it. It's maddening. Maddening. I, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's unfortunate now, though, is that um, – and I think this is one of the things that I, I've been very cognizant of this is that when I think about politics mainly, I, I, I'm very nihilistic. Uh, I don't have a necessarily very positive view. And I've found myself holding my tongue um, in front of my children. And then when I have calmed down a little bit about something, having a rational conversation with them, like, look, the only time I think, and this is, I, I literally am stealing this from like an old, uh, I, I forget what, ep it was an episode of a TV show, but the idea was uh, it, never look into your neighbor's bowl unless you're making sure that they have enough. We've, we've consistently done this thing where we, we look at others and say, they have more than me, or they, they have less than me, or, you know, we have the same amount, but I deserve more. I worked harder for this. And I think that, um, America has done this thing of we need in we have inequalities except when it comes to opportunities. We have this opportunity where everyone has the chance to become rich or become educated. And what the reality is is that it's not true. It, there's kids that just because of their zip code are forced to go to public schools in that area that are at best subpar. Um and it's really unfortunate. I remember doing my student teaching in a class in, in Philly and the teacher was literally, and this is not an exaggeration, reading the newspaper, he handed out worksheets and sat down at his desk and read the daily news. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, and then you can look up these people's salaries and they're making 95, $100,000 a year. And it's like, you've been teaching this for 30 years. You should be a fucking expert at it. But we've, you know, like people have become complacent with it and just gone, well, no one yells at me if I don't, you know, if I hand out the work and they do this, I I, I don't get in trouble. And it's like, then you got into teaching for the wrong reason. You it, like, if you don't have a passion for this anymore, please hand the reins to someone that does. Rohan and Egan, is there any side projects or upcoming things or anything that you want to specifically talk about in, in the last few minutes here? Well, I mean, we've talked about New Friends Fest, which isn't happening. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, we're we're actually busy working on our next record. So we've we've oh. already yeah we've already got about a side worth of material wow. for our next record. So we're we're yeah, as you can tell, Rohan isn't in Toronto right now. He's he's actually moving to Texas permanently to be with his partner slash wife. Oh. Uh, so yeah, so so we're we're hoping to kind of just get our next record written in person and recorded before he leaves, so then we can kind of figure out how we're gonna keep things going, right? Um, internationally, but uh, yeah, so I, we're we're just we're keeping busy, just working on working on new stuff. There's no tours. There's there's nothing really happening. So. Right. I think we're we're holding out hope that we can play the songs on Black Line live before the next record's out. <laughs> I think that's the that's the that's the that's the the, the dream. Uh, just <laughs> tour two records at the same time, you'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? So, Rohan, any closing words here? 
Um, I think that I want to come back to what you said a couple of minutes ago when you're talking about, um, you know, how you tend to be nihilistic when you're, when you're thinking about politics. And I think that, um, I think that that's something that, you know, we're all tempted to, to feel as well. And I think that, uh, part of the, the, I guess the, the, the mission statement or the, um, you know, the raison d'etre of, uh, of black line is, is that, um, the world is, you know, the world is, is spiraling, but we're, it's a specific encouragement to not, you know, get sucked down that nihilist black hole, uh, and to, um, and to be, to, to be angry, but, but also empowered to do something about it. Um, so, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a, it's not a swan song, but it's a call to arms. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really hard to, uh, to keep up hope and just, I don't know, just to just because, uh, you know, it's just like one thing after another and it's like nothing's ever going to change. But we got to keep going, man. Everything we just happens gotta, incrementally. Yeah. 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 We just got to keep going. Well, Rohan, Egan, I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. I'm glad we got to connect. Well, you know, the disappointing thing is like there's no shows. Like I was looking forward to talking to all my favorite bands and then going to see them and being like, hey, what's up? You know, but uh that's not going to happen anytime soon. However, I'm so glad that you both came on the show. This was a fucking awesome talk. And uh, folks, check out the Respire discography. I mean, shit, it's, it's, it's a cinematic journey that you will not regret taking yourself on. And I absolutely love the music. And uh, I just want to thank you guys both for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is great. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Tommy? I think now, and this is something I've been kind of like, I, I do a daily meditation and this is the quote that came up today. And I just thought it was unbelievably lucky. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's not coincidence. Maybe it's fate. I'm not sure. But, um, the idea that if you keep in mind the things, if you put value in the things that you don't have control of, the less control you actually have. So when you put value in things like the outcome of an election, you put value in the things like what someone else is going to do or how are they going to respond to this, um, the less control you really have. And I think that the idea that when you are in that mindset of I can do my best today, right now, um, it, it leads to so much more progress because you feel accomplished in that one, you've put aside things that don't necessarily uh, involve you or things that you don't have direct control over. And it also allows you to really kind of let go and live in that moment of, I appreciate what I have when I have it because it's here now and I love it. Uh, I, I got mad the other day because my daughter's toys were all over the floor and you know, there was just like, we have a one-year-old as well. So like I have twin six-year-olds and a one-year-old and the one-year-old's toys were everywhere and I was constantly tripping over stuff and I was in a rush to do something for work. And I thought to myself, in a, a year and a half or two years, these toys won't be strewn about. The baby won't be learning how to walk. The baby won't be, I won't be changing diapers. And as much as I look at it and go, well, that'll be a nice change. I need to learn to appreciate these things when they're happening because eventually they're not going to be there anymore. They will be, this is, it's all transient. It's all going to stop. And we need to make sure that we appreciate what we have when we have it so that we can relish those moments. Like if it's, it's really bad right now, that's fine. Embrace that. And then recognize that 
when the good comes, it's going to feel that much better. Well, there you go. You know, to quote Egan in a uh, Respire interview that I read, if it's not emotionally exhausting, it's not worth it. And you know what? That's our philosophy. There you go. Love it. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being uh, on the show with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Respire. You know, they are super nice guys, well thought out, great conversations, amazing music. I mean, the whole discography is incredible. You've got Denouement, right? Gravity and Grace. Uh, Eternal Nothing is the biggest banger off that album, in my opinion. But man, all of it is so good. They're really good. I always think like for people that haven't heard them and they're like, I wonder what they sound like. It's you and I meets Godspeed, you Black Emperor. That's my, yeah. that's my best way of explaining it. It's like really good, heavy, emotive kind of stuff, but at the same time, orchestral. Like they have re, and it's not orchestral for the sake of like, oh, we have a bunch of violins and we have you know some brass section. Like no, it's really, really thought out. It's well planned, and it's 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 done in a way that's not over the top. Like uh there's a lot of times when i listen to godspeed and i'm like holy shit this is 15 minutes of like this person shouting in like creole like what's when are they gonna get to the fucking music like get to the part that's awesome um i know that but like they do it in such a way that it's like everything is i mean their songs are they're tight but there's someone some of them that are like seven and a half eight minutes long and it does not feel like that right and with these bands that blend different genres sometimes they just don't know how to do it like it'll be like okay we're a metal song okay now we're an emo song out of nowhere there's no there's no flow to it but respire have got it down and i think it's really cool is like that the fact that like these guys are all like they're all from different parts not even different parts they're all from you know they're from canada now but they're, they're all from different parts of the world you know so they bring their own kind of like touch to everything and it's very it's really just a great thing to hear when you hear these backstories of like oh actually you know i grew up here and then i moved here and like you know i, I lived in japan really <laughs> jesus really? <laughs> <laughs> like that's like one of the most difficult languages to learn and it's like no i just picked it up no i speak it and also i speak english without an accent at all like holy <laughs> shit like that's always mind-blowing to me and then the fact is like when you hear bands like this, they got me because of that live video, New Friends Fest. Uh, yes. There's a live video from New Friends Fest. If you have not looked it up, please look it up. It is unbelievable. And they have the, the people on stage. So they, they have a, a violin, a viola player. They have two trumpet players, um, two guitar players, a bass player, a drummer. Like It is a full stage and it is awesome it is unbelievable like the the sound that they get out of it and it's um like when you first hear it you're like wow this is really like smartly done and then it just goes into a full-on black metal part like it's really awesome <laughs> like, it's, yeah like, very well done and i like that they're just doing their own thing they have their band they have the new friends diy they're putting on their own shows you know from some from somebody who 
has always felt on the outside, that's a, I like to see when people are doing that. They're just doing their own thing. They're building their own thing. And that's what you got to do, man. Cause no one's, no one's going to come find you. No one's going to go hand it to you. Yeah. You just got to do it. And you know, the fact that like, you know, you know, it's really great that guys like, you know, Egan are also, you know, not only involved in musical projects like this, but you know, they're involved in things like they want to do better in terms of like the, you know, society's, you know, legal structure. So they're actually going and doing something about it and going to law school. Um, it's just phenomenal that they're able to do these things. Yeah. It was a great conversation. So, well, what else you got coming up? You going to sit in the car for the rest of the day? Uh, no. So, <laughs> so my next move on this is, uh, I have to finish some lesson plans for the week we return. So that November 30th week, um, other than that, we don't have anything to do. We're going to go actually early tomorrow morning, probably like around seven thirty or eight o'clock. And we're going to go get our Christmas tree. And when we get the Christmas tree, cause we go out and like find like a real one and like cut it down. Cause we, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere here. Yes. Um, they have these huge tree farms, so we'll go ahead and cut it down and then make our way back to Fusterville. Nice. Yeah. yeah we're going to get a tree tomorrow. I think I'm going to skip Thanksgiving next year, you know? Yeah. Cause Thanksgiving and Christmas are back to back. So I think we'll do a Thanksgiving here in New York and I'll just go home for Christmas. I think that's a great idea. Cause like you're kind of like, mixing both and here's the other thing people go crazy about how good thanksgiving is i don't like thanksgiving dinner anyway like it's not good it's not good it's not a good yeah and it it has nothing to do and just in case anyone from my family happens to hear this which i don't think they won't it has nothing to do with the cooking it's just it's just the food yeah that mixture of food whatever not good i if someone said do you want thanksgiving dinner or do you want popeyes i'd be like fucking popeyes every day of the week are you out of your mind like that's the dumbest thing in the world or like do you want um, pizza or do you want Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, I'm picking pizza. Like uh, it's yeah. turkey and mashed potatoes. Like, ugh. I remember being a kid and thinking, oh, rich people probably have Thanksgiving dinner every day. <laughs> like, I, I remember thinking it was this like special thing, but it's not. No, it's, and it's no. not like I don't, I don't ever, nowhere ever in my life have I been like, wow, I could really go for some turkey. Like, <laughs> Like, it's just not a good, like, I, I will go and get a turkey hoagie. Like, I'll, I'll go to Primo's and get a turkey Diablo. I'll do that. That is so good. Any day of the week. But if someone said, hey, you want a real roasted turkey? No. I don't <laughs> fucking want that. Like, it's fucking gross. It's like, I, the only way I eat turkey is if I mash it with all the other shit together. Like, I just put a ton of gravy and, like, the green bean casserole and all the other stuff. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't like that meal as it like if i had to pick like a a meal like in terms of holiday meals thanksgiving is 100 percent la- dead last on my list i will pick hamburgers and hot dogs for fourth of july over thanksgiving dinner every fucking day of the week like yeah i like ham at christmas ham is really good i like like ham and raisin sauce i'll like i'll eat that like but everything wait else- ham and raisin sauce yeah dude 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 you seem disappointed. You seem disappointed in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I'm I'm honestly just trying to keep my meat consumption to chicken, and that's it. Yeah. I'm trying to. I don't know, man. I just, I just feel bad eating a steak or bigger animals. I'm I'm like trying. I'm I'm not saying. I'm trying to wean myself off. I would like to imagine that I could become pescatarian one day or something. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm like starting to will myself into thinking it. I hate fish so much. Yeah, it's not my favorite. I can't, like, I can't, um, I, like, I, my wife is a big, like, uh, she likes tuna fish sandwich, like, like, she'll make, like, tuna on rye. Oh, forget that. No. I can't, I, when she makes it in the kitchen, it literally, in my head, I'm going, like, it smells like the bottom of a garbage can. Like, it's, is this a canned tuna? Yes. Oh, it no. smells like cat food. Like, yes, I'm not fucking eating this. Like, and it's like, it stinks the whole room up. And on top of that, and she's like, yeah, but it doesn't taste like that when you eat it. I'm like, all right, so let me take a bite. And it's like, she puts so much other stuff in it, like mayo, salt, pepper, or um, chopped celery, chopped onions. And I'm like, okay, so that's all I taste is the onion and the celery. I don't even taste it. And she's like, yeah, but it's a good source of protein. I'm like, yeah, so is a ton of other shit. Like, I don't want to fucking eat this stuff. It's so gross. It smells so bad. I can't get the smell alone is enough to turn me on it. Like I oh. forgot canned tuna was even a thing until right now. My my older brother used to eat that when we were really young and I was really grossed out by it. I can't. I just I dude, when I used to work at uh the first school I ever worked at, I worked with a guy that was his lunch. He was like a bodybuilder and he used to do like these protein packed like lunches in the middle of the day and he would eat like four times a day when we were at work. He would just eat three cans of tuna. He would just take the cans of tuna, open them up, and then just dump them into like a Tupperware container and eat the tuna. And I'm like, how do you do that? He's like, hey, man, if you want to put on mass. I'm like, ugh, no, I don't. <laughs> Not that bad. <laughs> fucking... People are so messed it's up. so man. gross, dude. <laughs> That's just gross. Yeah. Well, listen, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Respire. And we hope that you will continue to listen to us. We've been getting... More and more great feedback, yeah. messages from folks, a lot of new people following us. And we want that to continue because, shit, it feels good. It does feel good. And people, I, I've seen a couple of comments of like, hey, these guys have good chemistry. And it's like, well, we've only known each other for two decades, so. <laughs> we better have good chemistry <laughs> yeah, by now or, or we're in big trouble. <laughs> we're in deep shit. <laughs> we're just wasting our time. <laughs> no, you know, I was telling Romy last night, everything I've done in my life, creative-wise, you know, e either it didn't work out or I'm forcing myself to do it and I don't enjoy it or something to that effect. And this podcast, I knew from the beginning somehow that it was going to work. I knew that we were going to be the two people to do this. I didn't have anybody else in mind to do it with. Um, and even though it's hard, even though sometimes we're really tired and we just don't feel like doing it, yeah, I have this unbelievable drive to keep pushing forward. And that's why I know that it's good and that we have to keep doing it. That's why I'm sitting in the front seat of a fucking minivan right now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way this shit works. Like, because we actually like what we're doing and we really, I think the biggest thing is, is like, we think there's, there's so many bands out there that we want to talk to and spend time with and learn about. And then there's other bands like, especially like respire, like, you might not have heard of them, but we want to make sure people hear about this music because there's so much great stuff happening out there that it just, you know, how often do you get into a record and you go and you look it up and you're like, 2017? Fuck, how did I miss this? Like, exactly. I, I missed, um, it was only because of you. I missed Holy Fawn completely until you were like, you should check this band out. And I was yes. like, how did this slip past me? Like, And the thing is, is because because there's so much great music out there and there's so many 
different avenues to get it from and different places to look at that sometimes really, really great bands that are doing awesome things just slip through the cracks. And if we can even expose a couple people to some cool shit, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I and I would actively seek that stuff out. Uh, this website, Arctic Drones, used to post a big list of the best post-rock of the year. And that's where I would find most of the stuff. But I, I don't know if that, I don't think that site is a thing anymore. Oh. So I, I have to dig a little deeper. But uh, calling back to our first segment, I might not find the connection I'm looking for in the car when I'm playing music. However, we have this podcast to scratch that itch. And yeah. I just have to direct that energy in the right place and not uh, get negative where there's no place for it. So that's my lesson learned. Uh, for this week 100 percent, i love it i absolutely love it because it's one of those things where you you know you spend a, a time building that playlist and you're like you're thinking about how one song leads into the next or how this one is going to kind of like set the tone for something coming up and it's like oh i went a little heavy on this let's go a little bit lighter on the next one and then right. what you get is complete indifference and you're like <laughs> <laughs> what the f-? you're so mad you're just like god damn it i spent time on this yeah, and that's okay. That's okay. Now, we're not all going to have the same taste. So listen, write us, email us, follow us. We'll share your reviews on the air. We'll share your stories on the air. You're a part of this too. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time.